So today we're gonna talk about the company that pioneered the large tech IPO. They're the reason millions of Wall Street guys and gals flocked to Silicon Valley in the 90s and they were looking to strike it big in tech after this IPO. All right, well, let's see. We must be talking about... You're not sure? Well, hold on, give me a second. Uh, <sighs> I, I can give you a hint. Uh, no, hold on. I think I have it. Um, let me say Netscape. Yes, exactly. Ooh. It's one of the most successful IPOs in tech history. And then a sudden fall as they were taken out by their biggest rival. Yeah, a big story there. Well, let's get into it. But first, let's roll that intro. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts. Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is supported by Trustonomy, an original podcast from OneTrust. Every good relationship you have, personal or business, it involves trust. But we all know that trust doesn't just happen, right? We've all lost trust in a friend or a brand or a product. Trustonomy is a new podcast that looks at true stories from the past to understand how trust works and what makes it stronger and how to rebuild it when it's broken. Now, you know, I'm a sucker for a good podcast that weaves historical stories and relates it to what's happening today. So I thoroughly enjoyed this Trustonomy episode and recommend that you check that out as well. Search for Trustonomy in your podcast player. We'll also include a link in the show notes. Many thanks to the OneTrust team for their support. As artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing. They're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI-Safety-Security again. HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security.
At the dawn of the 1990s, the World Wide Web was a cluttered mess of simple text. It was hard to navigate, difficult to search, and nearly impossible for the average person to enjoy using. Remember, the first picture wasn't even uploaded until 1992. Yes, in 1992, Mark Andreessen, yes, that Mark Andreessen, was a gifted Unix coder making $6.85 an hour at the university's National Center for Supercomputing Applications. That's where Andreessen met fellow programmer Eric Bina, who had joined him in creating his vision for the future of the World Wide Web. Here's Eric Bina on Mark's early vision. thing right away with Mark said, this could be great if it was much easier to use. We could make that. We just have to make the framework for the web and all those documents, people will make those. And he was right. He liked to show us that he was right. Andreessen, Bina, and a small team of developers launched the Mosaic browser in 1993 which quickly became one of the most popular browsers because of its user-friendly design. What made Bina's and Andreessen's creation so popular was that it did it in a pleasurable way, as described by Wire in 1994. Through the use of color photos, sound bites, video clips, and hyperlinks, it made web browsing kind of a point-and-click affair. Where there was once a dull, blocky text, there was now eye-popping, pixelated color photos. Here's Mark Andreessen from an early interview on his motivation for the Mosaic browser. The whole internet phenomenon had been sort of gaining momentum for the past decade, but it wasn't being really utilized. It was great infrastructure, but it wasn't friendly to people who wanted to be able to do interesting things on it. As the Mosaic browser gained in popularity, the New York Times profiled the creators at the National Center for Supercomputing Applications at the University of Illinois. But the article only featured and named the directors at the school, not the creators themselves. Andreessen was pissed. Someone else was getting credit for his team's work. And to compound this, the school refused to give him the position of manager of the Mosaic Project after his graduation. So he took off to Silicon Valley. Now, it was here in January 1994 where Andreessen meets Jim Clark, the founder of the iconic Silicon Graphics that had just earned acclaim the previous summer for rendering the famed dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. Jim had just stepped away and was looking for his next opportunity. Here's Jim Clark. Mark hit me right at the beginning as being an incredibly bright uh, young guy. He knew quite a lot about the internet, and I learned a lot from him. Now, here's Jim talking with Jason Calacanis about meeting Mark Andreessen. I ran into Mark Andreessen via sending him an email. I said, I understand you've just moved out here. A guy introduced me via, uh, or told me who he was. Mm -hmm. I just sent him an email out of the blue. Huh. He met with me the next morning. And we got together and we just, I told him, look, I'm, I want to start a company. I'm not going to recruit from my current company. Uh, and uh, we, we searched for something to do for about three months. And then one day he said, why don't we just hire the guys from uh, University of Illinois? They're all leaving because they're graduating. Yeah. Let's hire them and redo this thing and make it a commercial. According to Jim, Mark was keen not to do anything with Mosaic at first. So Jim suggested they do something related to online gaming, like virtual reality games over a network, which was kind of similar to where Silicon Graphics was heading. And Drayson and Clark approached Nintendo first. The Japanese gaming behemoth was on the cusp of announcing the new Ultra 64, known stateside as the Nintendo 64. Nintendo was interested, but wanted a large ownership stake in Clark and Andreessen's venture. So 
the two backed off. Then they were out of ideas. Well, that was quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or maybe Andreessen really just wanted to build the browser after all. I don't know. But as Jim mentioned in the clip, Andreessen recommended that they simply hire the Mosaic team who were all graduating and needed jobs. After all, this was the team that built the original Mosaic browser that attracted a million users in under a year's time. But there was a problem. The NCSA, after Mark and Jim had founded the Mosaic Communications Corporation and hired all the students that had built the Mosaic browser, well, they were concerned that they were stealing the browser itself as well. They did start from scratch, however, despite their attempts not to run afoul of the university. Illinois sued the startup for intellectual property infringement. It probably didn't help that they named the company Mosaic and <laughs> that they hired everyone who built the original Mosaic browser. <laughs> well, they were forced to pay millions in settlement fees, and they then changed the company name to Netscape. Okay, the launch of Netscape Navigator right after a quick break. So Mark Andreessen, Jim Clark, had just renamed the company Netscape and are preparing for the launch of Netscape Navigator. Internally, they moved incredibly fast. Long hours, an incredibly passionate and excited team. And Mark Andreessen, he led the charge behind the scenes under the new CEO, James Barksdale. Leading up to the launch, there's growing hype and excitement. Here's actually a clip from Ben Horowitz of Andreessen Horowitz, who was an executive at Netscape at the time, talking with Sarah Lacey of Pando. We planned this massive launch in New York City with like, you know, on stage and, you know, big lights and all these things. And everybody from the press was coming and it was going to be awesome. And two weeks before the launch, um, Mark leaks the entire strategy and the entire story to, you know, not the Wall Street Journal, not the New York Times, but computer reseller news. <laughs> uh, which was the best of the computer reseller news bar magazines, you know. <laughs> but it was, you know, CRN, and the reporter was very good, and he got the whole story out of Mark, like the pricing, the, you know, all the components, it was gonna take on back office. And I was so upset, and so I sent him an email, I'm like, I guess we're not going to wait for the launch. You know, that's just one line email. And he replies and, you know, CC, Mike Homer, who is my boss, uh, Jim Barksdale, who is the CEO, and Jim Clark, who is the uh, volatile founder. Um, and the, his email said, and I, I don't remember it exactly, but I remember a lot of it. He said, well, I guess you really don't understand what's going on. We're getting killed, 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 and losing billions of dollars in value every day because server product management, which is basically me, has no idea what they're doing. Next time, do the fucking interview yourself. Fuck you, Mark. <laughs> and I got that email on the day he was on the cover of Time magazine. <laughs> Then, in mid-December 1994, the group released version 1.0, now known as Netscape Navigator. It was a massive success. Here's Roseanne Sino, their head of communications at the time, talking about the launch on the Internet History Podcast. I don't even think the guys could have imagined uh, the pickup. I, none of us could. It was, it was a crazy thing. It was like we were already getting so much attention. People were already watching every move we made. It was, but still when we put the beta out and, you know, thousands and thousands of people are downloading it overnight, you know, without us even announcing that we'd put it out. It, it was a crazy, crazy thing. And 
you know, we got to millions of users within, I don't know, a few months of, of its release. And it doing was, nothing was, but just like opening the, the barn doors and saying, come get it. That's right. That's right. I mean, the demand was just so crazy by that point. Uh, we'd gotten enough attention. People were very curious. Everybody wanted to be a part of it. And so, you know, uh, folks that I felt like, you know, probably hadn't even had a PC that long, all of a sudden were, you know, wanting to be on the web. It was, it was a crazy, crazy time. Besides the interface's point-and-click simplicity, Netscape also provided unprecedented security. Working with engineer Kip Hickman, Netscape pioneered SSL, or Secure Sockets Layer, protocol. Which is the same technology that's used today. Yeah, that's right. The technology established an encrypted link between browser and server, which allowed for privacy and consumer protection when submitting things like credit card numbers, stocks, or any sort of private information through the internet. So all of this was kind of crazy innovation, pioneered by this move fast and break things mentality, way before Mark Zuckerberg made that quote famous, their internal goal was to get everything to about 80%, not 100, just 80, and release it and worry about the rest later. Here's Roseanne Sino again talking about why they were trying to move so fast. Jim was very aware of Microsoft and that Microsoft would try to kill any software company that built a market. We'd seen that over and over through the years already. Um, and so he was very aware of that. More, and he was more concerned about that than I would say about any other browser mm. um, coming from the side. Like we weren't particularly concerned about Spyglass. We weren't you know, particularly concerned with the free browser. We were concerned, or he was concerned, and got us all concerned that Microsoft would understand what we were doing and jump on it. Uh, in fact, I believe by, I want to say maybe August, September, somebody from Microsoft actually came out and met with Jim. Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't tell him too much, and he was very you know, concerned about uh, what they were really after. But that happened, and uh, so you know, he legitimately felt um, like you know, we've, he's seen this before, that, that we needed to, to, to be out to market quickly. We needed to be established quickly so that it would be hard to overturn us. So Microsoft, the dominant tech company who at the time controlled 90% of the PC market, this was the reason Netscape moved so quickly internally. Well, it wasn't all because of Microsoft. Here's Ben Horvitz again talking with Sarah Lacey. Is it true the main reason you went public then was because Jim Clark wanted to buy a boat? Uh, that, had, that, that, that did factor into it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know, the that's great Jim. Netscape moment we all hear about was simply because of a boat. Yeah, but to Jim's credit, it turned out to be a good idea. You know, I had heard it was about a boat. Uh, okay. <laughs> all right. So they launched the first iteration of the browser. The public loves it because it's basically the same as the Mosaic browser, but upgraded. It's user-friendly, welcoming. The team is innovating to make the web more useful for people by adding things like security and payments. But they needed more capital because Microsoft, they're coming for them. And that after a quick break. The team at Netscape had launched the incredibly popular Netscape Navigator, but they were worried that Bill Gates and Microsoft were coming for them. 
Initially, Microsoft was skeptical of web browsers, but by 1995, after Bill Gates was rumored to have spent an hour dissecting Netscape Navigator at a party after its launch, Microsoft began developing a browser of its own. Now, at this point, Netscape had over 75% market share of the browser market, and Mark Andreessen is becoming a household name. On August 9th, 1995, Netscape made an extremely successful IPO, only 16 months after the company was formed. The stock was set to be offered at $14 per share, but a last minute decision actually doubled the IPO to $28 per share. The company's initial public offering set off a frenzy. At the time, the New York Times wrote that it was one of the most stunning debuts in Wall Street history. And the Wall Street Journal noted that it had taken General Dynamics 43 years to be worth $2.7 billion on the stock market. It took Netscape about a minute. For the first time in history, Netscape proved that a company deeply embedded in the virtual world could be worth billions in the real world. The hype supercharged the dot-com bubble of the 1990s, and it launched the internet age, creating today's world where founders become instant nouveau rich on the day of their company's IPO. Netscape soon released version 2.0, which was faster, easier to use, incorporated Java applets, and allowed plugins so users could take advantage of other applications developed for the browser. This moment was Netscape's zenith. It had millions of web users, 80% market share, and was valued in the billions. Fortune called the web browser's rise the beginning of the internet age, and Andreessen was compared to Jim Morrison, as he was called the web's first true rock star. But once Bill Gates set his sight on building a browser, it was going to be tough to beat. Here's Bill Gates talking with David Letterman about the new World Wide Web in 1995. But, but you know, I think about this, and what about this internet thing? Do you, do you know anything about that? Sure. What, what the hell is that exactly? Well, it's, it's become a place where people are publishing information. Right. So you, everybody can have their own homepage. Companies are there, the latest information. It's wild what's going on. You can send electronic mail to people. Uh, it is the big new thing. Yeah, but you know, uh, uh, it's easy to criticize something you don't fully understand, which is my position here. Go ahead. But I, I can remember a couple of months ago, there was like a big breakthrough announcement <laughs> that on the internet or on some computer deal, they were going to broadcast a, a baseball game. You could listen to a baseball game on your computer. And I just thought to myself, does radio ring a bell? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just... There's, there's a difference. There is a difference. It's not a huge difference. What is the uh, difference? But you can you can listen to the baseball game whenever you want. All right. Too. Oh, I see. So it's stored in one of your memory deals. Exactly. And then you can come That's back the RAM a year later. thing you talked yeah. about earlier. Yeah. In August of 1995, days after Netscape's debut as a publicly traded company, Microsoft launched Internet Explorer 1.0. Ironically, it was built on some of the same bones as Netscape Navigator. That's right. Microsoft had licensed browser software from a company called Spyglass. Prior to that, Spyglass has brokered a deal with the University of Illinois to license Mosaic and its underlying technology, created at the university's natural center for supercomputing applications, the same software that Andreessen had built there. Microsoft had found a willing partner to take down Netscape. 1995 was also the year of Windows 95. You've heard all about the many fabled wonders of the information superhighway. With Windows 95, it's easy to get on it. Start connecting. Start Windows 95. 
While Netscape may have been the leader in the browser wars with 80% market share, Windows had 90% of the PC market. And they bundled Internet Explorer with every version of Windows installed. Slowly but surely, Microsoft overtook Netscape in a browser market share war. Internet Explorer was good enough, and that's all most people needed. While Netscape was actually superior, most people didn't really need the bells and whistles that it provided, at least not enough to seek out a browser that wasn't already installed on their PC. Here's Jim Clark again talking about why they never became the next Microsoft, and instead, they got taken out by them. It's, it's really hard to put your finger on yeah. it. Essentially, yeah, we made servers, software for servers, we made yep. software, but we didn't get into any, into any of the end-user things. Right. We could have acquired the guys doing uh, Yahoo. We could right. have... Um, you, In fact, you hosted Yahoo, I think. Is that correct? On I the, don't recall if we hosted them, but, but in any event, we, we, we certainly talked to them quite right. a bit. And I, I, we chose to try to be the, the supplier of the, let's say, the guts of the internet. Right. And it was a hard thing to do when there was a Microsoft trying to kill you. Right. Microsoft was trying to kill us, and they effectively did because right. they disabled us so much that we had to uh, take this offer from AOL. But Microsoft didn't really fight fair. Eventually, Netscape sued Microsoft for antitrust practices. Here's Jim Clark one more time. The big Clays. thing that Microsoft did that was precipitated the antitrust stuff was they um, they went to their current partners, PC vendors, right. and said, if you bundled the SGI browser, I mean, the Netscape browser, yeah. we will uh, cut off your Windows license. Right. So that's the antitrust part. That, was, that is so cutthroat. When you yep, think about it. pretty cutthroat. I mean, business is kind of a civilized form of warfare. <laughs> civilized form, I like that. Well, I mean, we see it today with Facebook copying everything yeah. that Snapchat does. They I mean, the, look, I mean, it's better than having, you know, a battle where you shoot each other. But, right. you know, the idea is to kill the other company. Right. And, economically. Uh, Netscape would hang on for another decade before it finally pulled the plug on Navigator in December of 2007. But the legacy of the web's first big browser, it lives on. Yeah, prior to being acquired by America Online, Andreessen publicly released the source code for Netscape Navigator 4.0, allowing a worldwide community of programmers to keep working on it. This effort actually led to the creation of Mozilla and its Firefox browser, one of the best alternatives to Google Chrome. The browser would dethrone Internet Explorer in 2016. Netscape was the first major tech IPO. They set the standard for evaluating tech companies and the crazy multiples tech companies have generally enjoyed over the past two decades. They were the archetype for generations to come. Yeah, so a good history lesson here uh, pretty much wraps up today's episode, but I know we've got more coming up in the weeks ahead. Yeah, we'll be back next week. For Mike Belsito, I'm Michael Saka, and this is Rocketship.fm. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It is your support that keeps the show going. If you can, take a second and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps out the show so much. We're also part of the Podglomerate Network, and if you'd like to listen to more great shows from the Podglomerate, go to thepodglomerate.com to see the full show listings. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. Go to productcollective.com and get access to our weekly newsletter, live video interviews, Slack community, product job board, and a whole lot more. Again, just go to productcollective.com.